welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Today I am thrilled to feature yet another fantastic episode in our series on the Commune Podcast called Ask Dr. G. So here at Commune, we are consistently in receipt of interesting questions from our Commune community regarding health and well-being, and I simply cannot imagine anyone better in the world to answer these inquiries than my dear friend, Dr. Sarah Gottfried. So Sarah's been kind enough to lend her considerable experience and knowledge here on the show on a regular basis to answering these questions. And Dr. G is a Harvard-educated physician, researcher, and educator, of course, an author as well. She received the moniker of Dr. G from the Philadelphia 76ers, after Dr. J, of course, for whom she serves as health coach. She has led commune courses on the topics of perimenopause and menopause, and happily, we seem successful in luring her up to commune, Topanga, that is, on a regular basis, where she is leading retreats with my better three-quarters, Skylar Grant. So you can be part of the conversation and submit your questions at onecommune.com slash askdrg, that's A-S-K-D-R-G. And to learn even more from Dr. G, you can watch her free commune masterclass, Women, Food, and Hormones at onecommune.com slash menopause. Okay, before we dive in, I'm so grateful to those who write reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps the show. So I've created an offer just for you, 30 days of free commune membership. That's right, all access for a whole month. Just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review, then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review, preferably a good one to receive your free all-access for 30 days. And while you're there, make sure that you're subscribed. Okay, in today's episode, Dr. G and I discuss navigating the red tape around labs that are deemed atypical by our healthcare system. We explore what beneficial information you can glean from basic panels, and also why providers often shy away from ordering others. Plus, Dr. G walks us through what additional labs she recommends to her patients and tips on how to advocate for yourself in the current healthcare landscape. As always, this was a fascinating conversation and I think a useful one too. So I hope you enjoy it. Without further delay, I present to you Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Okay, Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Jeff. Here we are again. Yes, we are. Okay, we are answering uh, questions from our community. And we have harvested a number from a giant Google sheet that keeps growing and growing. There's a lot of people that have questions for you. I'm not surprised. And this one is from Amy, who um, also gave us this little description of her life. She lives in a tiny home in the woods in Minnesota. Minnesota. Um, Does she have a sauna? That's what I want to know. I hope so. But <laughs> I would live in a tiny sauna in the woods in Minnesota if I could. Okay. She asks, glasses on. Uh, what should we do if our primary care doc is not willing to order all the labs that you recommend because they, quote unquote, 
don't typically order those labs. Why is there so much red tape with ordering these labs? And why do providers not want to order certain labs? So we'll start there and then maybe we can back into what are the additional labs beyond the very, very basic panels that we see that you would recommend? So let's start with what should we do if our PCP is like, nah, sorry, you know, no fasting insulin test, no AP, no APOB, whatever. This comes up all the time. Yeah. So I hear from a lot of folks in our community that they just can't get the advanced testing that we talk about. The good news is there's so much you can do with really basic testing. And so I'd like to talk about that today. Right. You know, I, I often, one of my friends is Terry Walls. So she worked in the VA, the Veterans Administration. I worked at San Francisco General Hospital when I was first in my career. And we both found that you can do pretty extensive functional medicine work with really basic labs. So that's the first part that I think is important. But to get more to the heart of the question she's asking is, you know, what do we do about these doctors that are saying, oh, no, I don't think we need to do those tests. This happens a lot. I think it's a question to consider first is whether your clinician, your primary care physician has a growth mindset or more of a fixed mindset. And so when I first started having patients coming to me and saying, hey, uh, Dr. Sarah, I'm following Suzanne Summers and I'm looking at how she checks her estrogen or progesterone or testosterone and she takes, you know, 40 supplements a day. And I, I want to do some additional testing besides kind of the basic panel that was part of the health maintenance organization that I was in. And I was really open to this. You know, many of them brought books to me. They brought Uzi Rice's book. They brought Suzanne Summers' books. These were, you know, back in the uh, 90s, like early 2000s, when we weren't doing a lot of this more advanced testing. So I'm someone who's always had a growth mindset. And I was, I started to take a look at it. And as I started to take a look, I kind of realized, oh, I'm only looking at the tip of the iceberg here. There's this whole world of functional testing that could really help me as a clinician and also help me as a patient. And so I, I started to dive into it. I started to dive into nutrition. I, I really kind of made that turn toward looking beyond just the standard tests that we order by age. So that said, once you know whether your clinician is someone who's workable, I think some of the basic testing that this clinician might typically order still can be very fruitful. Hmm. So should we riff a little bit on some of the basic panels? Yeah. So one thing that I think is important is, you know, most clinicians are willing to order a comprehensive metabolic panel. So CMP, comprehensive metabolic panel, that includes tests of liver function, looking at your electrolytes, sodium, potassium, et cetera, looking at your BUN and creatinine, your kidney function, mm -hmm. your fasting glucose, your hemoglobin A1C. Um, with liver function tests, you can get a lot of information, including uh, your risk of fatty liver. Um, 
usually they're going to order a lipid panel. Now they're ordering what I think of as kind of the first generation lipid panel, you know, LDL, HDL, so-called bad cholesterol and good cholesterol, triglycerides, total cholesterol. I like to do more advanced testing, but that's usually what they're willing to order. So you can actually do a fair amount with that. Sometimes they'll order a complete blood count and differential, maybe a high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And if you've got other symptoms, they might do some additional testing. Like if you've got symptoms of autoimmune disease, maybe they'll do a anti-nuclear antibody or look at rheumatoid factor. Or um, if you've got thyroid dysfunction, maybe they're willing to take a look at a thyroid panel. So I would put those in the camp of kind of basic testing. And you can actually look at those tests with a more functional medicine lens and get a lot of information. And so when I was working at San Francisco General Hospital, I would do fasting glucoses, hemoglobin A1C, a lipid panel. I'd look with liver function at ALT. um, And with those alone, I could really guide people toward doing something like a elimination diet or starting to reduce the refined carbohydrates that they had in their diet based on how their metabolic health was. When you put that together with some of the other vital signs, like um, what's going on with your blood pressure, ideally uh, body composition, looking at body fat and lean body mass and tracking that in a time series over time, that can give you a ton of information. So I would have these one page handouts. I would help people with an elimination diet or with, you know, some basic gut rehabilitation just based on those testing. So there's a lot you can do with the things that your clinician might be willing to order. So what say you, Jeff Krasno, there's some additional testing that we certainly would want, but what do you think about those tests to begin with? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a basic common denominator there where you can, um, if you know enough information and you can almost like sleuth some things out. So like that basic lipid panel, for example, that you described, maybe that doesn't have LDLC or maybe that doesn't have APO little a or APO B or some of the more advanced markers for cardiovascular disease. I think that we've, we've found now, but maybe you can look at like, for example, um, like triglyceride to HDL ratio yes. or something. And that's not going to maybe give you the crystal picture or, uh, that APOB prevalence might give you, but it's, it's a way for you as a layperson to use the basic panels to try to like glean a little bit more information. Is that a fair understanding? It's a signpost. Yeah. You know, we, I can always think of some nuances here, like with HDL, the way I was taught, to think of HDL is that if it's less than 50 in women, less than 40 in men, like we really need to pay attention to that. Whereas we know that actually it's more about HDL function and not the overall number. So, um, you know, there's some additional nuances, but it's a great place to start. Yeah. So once though you've let's say you've made some broad generalizations, you've educated yourself, you know, Amy, and you've made some broad generalizations about kind of your baseline health through your basic panels. Where though would you go from there? I mean, is what's the next layer of labs that are pretty essential for, you know, a, you know, a dashboard into your own health? 
Well, you said the magic word, which is dashboard, because I love thinking about dashboards. And I love for challenging people, including Amy in her tiny home in the woods of Minnesota, to be thinking about her own dashboard. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many clinicians that are going to do that for you. And the truth is, how much time do you actually spend with your primary care doctor, Amy? Right? Like it's maybe 15 minutes once or twice a year. And so you really have to be your own best doctor and to build this dashboard yourself. So that includes tracking over time some of these things that we've mentioned already and also taking a look at what some of your vulnerabilities are. So you and I, one of our vulnerabilities is prediabetes. So we both have reversed it using mostly lifestyle change. And yet it's still a vulnerability that we have to be tracking and paying attention to. Every time I encounter toxic stress, it comes back again and I have to do all the things and sometimes new things. So I would say another piece to layer on is looking at hormones. So this is one of the places where, again, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset is so important. I see a lot of clinicians who say, oh no, we don't test those hormones. We're not going to look at your estradiol or your testosterone or your progesterone or your DHEA. And yet, if you are trying to get pregnant and you're not able to get pregnant, suddenly they're willing to order all of these hormone tests, which to me is a double standard. So for women or men who want to look at their hormone levels and, um, find that their clinician, that they're hitting a brick wall with their clinician, I think it's important to push them and ask them why and see if you can talk them into doing some of this testing. Often it's the clinicians who've struggled with their own health issues who might be more in that growth mindset. And so you may want to try to cultivate a team of clinicians that have that. That was certainly the case for me. So Hormone testing, I would I would put a thyroid panel in there, TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, free T3, free T4, thyroid antibodies, like thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroglobulin, maybe a reverse T3. That's what I'd put into a thyroid panel. For men and women, I like to look at estradiol, progesterone, free and total testosterone. I like to look at sex hormone binding globulin. I look at cortisol. You can get a total cortisol by looking at it in the blood, but that doesn't give you the free cortisol that's biologically available. I prefer saliva for that. If you've got issues with libido, I think it's important to look at cortisol and DHEA also in the saliva. I do like to look at DHEA in both men and women. It just gives me a sense of what's going on with the sex hormone pathway. I like to look at fasting insulin. In fact, I won't shut up about it. I think that's a critical part because it's upstream of changes in glucose and can predate it by seven to 14 years. So I think a hormone panel is really important. And then for men, you know, at a certain age, PSA, looking at prostate specific antigen is important. And then also for women of, you know, basic healthcare maintenance, they need a pap smear and HPV test. They need a pelvic exam. They need to be asked, are you satisfied with your sex life? And would you like to talk about it further? That's important too. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Jeff. And when it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder and reach farther and go that extra mile. Well, this relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance for the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist right there in your pocket. If you're interested in this innovative service, I've got great news for Commune listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Dr. G. That's insidetracker.com forward slash DRG. So there is a lot of good news um, in terms of commercial services that are available that facilitate people's ability to take more agency over their own healthcare. But um, you have to have a certain amount of means to be able to do that. Some of these tests are not cheap, but they're getting cheaper the more people use them. You know, for example, I've used Inside Tracker. I know that that you know them as well, and they make it super easy for me. Like, there's a local phlebotomist here. Her name is Michelle. She's lovely. She comes to my house. <laughs> she <laughs> takes what's seemingly an ungodly amount of blood as I, as I, you know, recline in my easy chair. Um, and you know, a couple of days later, voila, on my app are a lot of biomarkers. And now, you know, they do significant like hormone panels as well. The tricky part for me is, and I think a lot of people may have experienced this that actually do take some of this agency, um, is that then they bring those labs to their primary care physician. Now there's two types of <laughs> primary care physicians as you outlined, people that might be more receptive to you doing something like that, or and then other doctors that might bristle and not be so happy that you've brought in, you know, pages upon pages of labs, you know, quote unquote, behind their back. Um, you know, I was speaking with someone recently that did that and they got their C-reactive protein. It came back very high. That could be an indication of inflammation. They brought it into, you know, their, their PCP and they were like, no, oh, just get rid of it. That doesn't mean anything. Don't mm. just like that. Da, da, da. Totally so disagree. Can be, like totally dismissive of it. So I think the, the, the fun, great news is that there's so much opportunity for people to take control over their own healthcare. The tricky news is like, there's no integration there between that and your, and your PCP often. Yeah. It, it's a great point because the clinicians who bristle on the one hand, I feel compassion for them 
because often they're working in an insurance-based system. They're seeing way too many patients, you know, like I used to, 30 to 40 patients a day. And they've got the hand on the doorknob to leave. And that's when like, oh, doctor, could you take a look at these labs? So I understand that. But I would also say, wait, isn't the goal my health as a patient? And if so, don't we want any means necessary to try to really excavate and understand what could be starting to rob me of my health? So I think this is a place where you really have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. And um, what I love about the age of agency and the age of the democratization of data is that we're able to do things like the Inside Tracker panel and to do a time series and to track over time if you've got the money for it. And I realize that's an issue for a lot of folks. You're able to notice changes that could be heralding this transition that I think about a lot from health to pre-disease to disease. Mm-hmm. And the sooner that you intervene in that transition, the better. So prevention has always been a difficult sell, but I think when you have the enchantment of your own laboratory changes that occur over time, it really gets you involved. It gets you motivated for behavior change in a huge way. Couldn't agree more. There's this um, concept of Hawthorne effect probably familiar with it, essentially when someone is being studied, their behavior changes, right? So I've applied kind of Hawthorne effect onto myself, (laughs) you know, and when, and you know, when you're wearing things like aura rings or continuous glucose monitors, or you're testing, et cetera, you become uh, an object of your own study and your behaviors are more apt to change that way. And, and so I find that to be to actually contribute to like an upward spiral of health. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, again, I mean, I think, you know, for Amy, who probably has limited options in terms of clinicians. I mean, if she lives in a tiny home in the middle of the woods in Minnesota. With her sauna. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, if health is truly a priority in her life, I think that, as you say, there's, you know, an opportunity for her to become essentially CEO of her own healthcare. And, you know, she's interested enough, obviously, to write a question. And she's a fan of yours and obviously listening to what you have to say. Um, so she's already taken the, that step of being very involved in her own journey. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of this speaks to the, like, complete structural um, misalignment within our medical system. Like, as you say, the the clinician on some level became a doctor most likely because he or she did really care about your health or about making people healthy. But then within a system that essentially economically allows them to see people only for about 10 minutes. And you see, like in that kind of situation, it is so much simpler and so much easier to prescribe, you know, metformin or whatever, you know, because that's just going to quote unquote, like take care of the problem versus having to do all of this analysis of labs and, you know, administer all these different lifestyle protocols and stuff. So, you know, we've, we really need to change the structure. And I, you know, I was sharing with you prior to recording, you know, I have a wonderful doctor and, you know, she recently had to start, you know, basically fold her practice 
um, and start kind of a, one of these subscription concierge services is becoming more and more prevalent for this very, very reason or for the situation I just described. She had to see thousands of patients. She was seeing them at 10 minutes at a time. The only real recourse when you're doing that is to write scripts all day. Yes. And she wasn't helping anyone, nor was she really making ends meet. Ah, <laughs> yeah, it's like a double bind. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're in this kind of liminal gray zone now where until we can kind of change some of the the structures of our kind of medical environment that, you know, we do need to take advantage to the degree that we can of, you know, really getting into our own health and our, you know, getting all these biomarkers on ourselves and you know, I mean, you know, there's so many tests now that you that are commercially available, right? I mean, from DNA to bioage methylation tests, and you know, telomere tests and microbiome tests, inflammatory <laughs> age, yeah, yes, like everything under the sun, leaky gut. If there were a, like a, a few, two or three tests that you might order that would kind of come under that classification, are there any that you'd recommend? Definitely. So I, I practice precision medicine. So I do genomic testing and I like to look at pathway based results. We can talk about mm. some of the labs that do this. And so I like to put those genetic results together with usually blood testing, but other biomarkers as well. So the kind of clients I take care of are mostly outside of the insurance system. Our healthcare system is broken. Yeah. And there's really two tiers right now. And it's a sad state of affairs that your insurance often doesn't pay for some of these tests that I'm about to describe, but that's kind of the way we are. Um, often you can use an HSA or you can find other ways to use pre-tax dollars to do some of this testing. But I like to do genomics together with hormone panels, regardless of whether you're assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth. I like to do uh, gut testing. So usually I start with some nutritional testing like the Genova NutriVal or Metabolomics, which is a blood spot test combined with urine. I like to do omega testing, look at the looking at the essential fatty acid cascade. I do an inflammatory panel together with advanced cardiometabolic profiling. Typically I use uh, Cleveland Heart Lab for that, which was... Uh, bought by Quest, so you can do a cardio IQ with Quest. Uh, you mentioned this guy that did uh, that had a CRP that was elevated and mm -hmm. got dismissed by his clinician, and I find that upsetting because that's such a important indicator of pre disease. I'm thinking of one patient in particular who had a CRP that was 25. You know, normal is less than one. And I like it less than 0.5. And this was a early sign that he had inflammatory bowel disease. And so if you just ignore it at that point and you don't start to address it and do the kind of gut rehab that much of this testing can generate, you know, you end up with having sometimes your segment of colon removed when you might've been able to prevent that with a different approach. So those are some of the basic tests. I, you know, you and I talk a lot about continuous glucose monitoring. I think it's really helpful on the dashboard of your health to be getting dense data 
that gives you more than just a snapshot of, you know, what's going on once a year with some basic tests. But that said, there's so much that you can do, as we said at the beginning, with doing a time series of some of these basic tests and then doing some small N of one experiments, which we all do anyway. It sounds kind of daunting to do N of one experiments, but we do them anyway. You may be doing them and just not calling them that. So even with the basic testing, you can do these N of one experiments. You know, maybe you've got a high bilirubin, you're not detoxifying well. And so you could start bringing in, you could do an N of one experiment to do after you get it evaluated by your primary care doctor. Maybe you try a period of time with increased sulforaphane activity mm. to see if that helps you with detoxification. Or there's some other ways that you assist your detox pathways. Or maybe you find that your, your LDL is not where you want it to be. And so somehow you talk your primary care doctor into doing like a quest cardio IQ and you try a different way of eating. Like in that situation, I often do the Institute for Functional Medicine cardiometabolic food plan. And, you know, I was taught that changing your food, if you've got uh, dyslipidemia, could give you about a 15 to 20% improvement. I find all the time with the Institute for Functional Medicine Cardiometabolic Food Plan that people get a 20 to 50% improvement yeah. in their dyslipidemia. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways that you can work even within the confines of the existing insurance-based system. Hmm. What are some of the specific biomarkers that come back from that cardio IQ test? So they're looking at uh, lipid fractionation. So they're looking at the, um, they're fractionating LDL, they're fractionating HDL. Uh, yeah. They're also looking at, um, so that means I like think it includes looking... ApoB yeah. and lipo little a. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if there's also some inflammatory markers. So I like to look at things, you know, it kind of depends on where someone is with their cardiometabolic phenotyping, but I'll look at things like myeloperoxidase, oxidized LDL. I'll put that together with LPA, uh, PLA2. So there's, there's lots of different ways that you can kind of phenotype where someone is. And then I also like the coronary artery calcium score. Yeah. And what is that? Is that just a blood test? So the calcium score is a, a little mini CT scan, CAT scan right. of your heart Got where it. you're calculating how much calcium is deposited there. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that test for everyone at 45 mm -hmm. uh, just to help to identify where you are in the path toward cardiometabolic disease, which, as we know, is the leading killer. Yeah. What about DEXA? Do you... So I like DEXA. It's the gold standard when it comes to body composition. I think you can approximate a DEXA pretty well with like an in-body machine or some of the other ways we have of measuring body fat. So um, I like to do a time series with DEXA over time, especially for folks like you and me who are obsessive about lean body mass and tracking that over, you know, a period of time and with different N of one experiments. But it doesn't have to be a DEXA. It could also be you know, a less expensive test. Yeah. There was another question that came in from a gentleman named Sean. I didn't actually know very much about this test and I don't want to put you on the spot. Maybe you don't either, but I think he um, referenced uh, some of these pre-cancer screenings, yes. these preventative cancer screenings, which uh, like the gallery test, yes. I believe there's one. Um, and I, I think it, it measures kind of 
hypermethylation markers on, on DNA. So essentially like DNA mutations that might, I don't know, turn off the some tumor suppressor gene or something like that, that might raise the prevalence or the potential prevalence of, of cancer. Um, what do you think about some of these? I mean, I know sometimes people, there, there's false positives and false negatives and all these kinds of different things. Have, have you had any experience with, with these? So gallery, I think is a really interesting newcomer on the scene. I know there's a lot of concierge phys physicians in the Bay area that use it and they find it to be really helpful. I don't have personal experience with it, so I can't speak to it specifically. I did Google it briefly before we started and you know, of course, there's some uh, information about some false positives that's on the internet, you know, much, I'm sure, to the chagrin of the yeah. folks that produce this test. But, you know, that's, it's sort of the nature of laboratory testing. It's not exact. Yeah. And so, um, especially with screening tests, you know, it's not a yes, no answer that you get. It's more of a state of probabilities. So I think we're still in the early stages of using tests like gallery and time will tell. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think this is an area where AI could eventually be pretty interesting, but why don't we, we'll cubby hold that for another time um, because AI and cancer and cancer prevention, I think um, for all the potential misuses of AI, there might be some positive utilizations there. Anyways, thanks Sarah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our Ask Dr. G series. As I mentioned, we have a special offer for those of you who write reviews of the show on Apple Podcasts. By writing a review, you can receive all access to the Commune Course platform, which features over 140 courses on health and wellness for a whole month. Just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review. Then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review to receive your free all access for 30 days. And while you're there, make sure that you're subscribed. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime at jeffk at onecommune.com. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week over week, including Jacob Laub, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Cooper Mall, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I'm here for you.